committed physically and mentally. What a day. Gold Coast Ironwoman Bonnie Hancock paddling around Australia in 254 days, smashing the world record. So, Rat, you and I played a game which was it was relentless. Yep. It was tough. Yep. And But we knew where our fears were coming from, didn't you? They were always coming from in front of you. We also had a heap of mates to help us out. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so our very next special guest, I'm so excited to talk to her. We spoke to her before her world record attempt paddling around Australia. Now, we talk about fear. The greatest fear is the unknown, isn't it? Oh, you bet. And this young lady, she faced dehydration, big swells, sharks, whales, fatigue. Crocodiles. Cro- crocodiles. That's, that's my biggest fear because I'll come after you, those things. Yeah. <laughs> and it is an absolute pleasure to have this young lady on the show. She broke the world record. We're going to catch up with her and promote her book as well. And we talk of none other than Bonnie Hancock. Welcome to the show, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Good chat. So is every day boring for you now after you paddle <laughs> or not? It's, it, it is a fair question because I tell you, those eight months of huddling around Australia were action-packed. And as you've alluded to, it, it's like every time you got through one challenge or one section, there'd be something else around the corner. And, you know, being 500k out to sea, getting to shore safely, then it was being allowed in by COVID officials. Then the crocodiles started. You just, oh. you just couldn't predict what it was. We have an amazing coastline, but it's also terrifying and very remote, I found out, in a lot of areas. Well, that's interesting because while you were doing this, and I was following your trek and I was, I was joining in some of the, the live chats um, at times as well, and um, during your paddle, I always wondered, there's this massive big country, beautiful country of ours, but did you take any mental note mm. of some of the beautiful Australian coastlines and think, I have to come back yeah. here one day and enjoy it? Absolutely. But, you know, it took me about two months to get to that that date of of being able to appreciate, you know, for the first two months I had head down, as we do as athletes, in, you know, tunnel vision just with that world record on my mind. And there was a really significant moment about two months in. And at the end of the day, my crew got off the boat and they went and explored this incredible island. And they said the sunset was just amazing. And and I stayed on the boat and I put the compression boots on and I did the whole athlete thing. And later that day, I just remember feeling devastated for missing out on it. And I said to my crew, remind me to look right. And I was going clockwise around the country. So to remind me to look in and enjoy these sights and, and actually get off the boat and enjoy it at the end of the day. And when I did that, my performance started improving. I started diving off the boat, diving in with seals and dolphins and joining them on these hikes to the top of the island. And, and that's when I physically started performing better. So there was that lesson to be learned. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, Bonnie? When you're a professional athlete and you travel, everyone thinks it's a holiday, but it's not. You're out there working. So you're not really thinking about the beauty that surrounds you. But I wanted to ask you, you competed mm-hmm. in nine New Grain Ironwoman series. At what point did you think, yeah. oh, I'm done with the series, I'm looking for a new challenge? Because... You weren't just competing with the Iron Woman series by, you know, well, you were competing, you know, by yourself, but you were, you were competing with your sister, Courtney, who I could only imagine I would have yeah. loved to have played footy with my brother, never got that opportunity. Yeah. But what, what was it that yeah. sort of drew you away from that to go, oh, I want to chase something else? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and it is so special, um, you know, playing sport with your you know, sister on the highest level. And, you know, in surf life saving, you've got to work with the ocean. And my sister's a master at that. And I remember so many times standing on the line of these big competitions looking out to sea and, and Courtney would help me and, you know, tell me where to go. And in races, I was often, often following her line. So she really helped me to get the best out of myself many times. But I remember probably around my mid-20s, I started to sort of lose the love of it. And as you guys would know, just that time, you, you know it's sort of time for a new challenge. And whether it's, you know, playing a few too many games, for me it was sort of a few too many seasons of Iron Woman racing. And I felt like I'd achieved a lot of what I wanted to do. And the ski leg had always been my weak leg, to be honest. I never developed that upper body strength until I was a bit older. And I sort of looked at it as the, you know, absolute peak in terms of, strength and empowerment I thought I want to do that I want to give that a crack and so I pretty much started as a rookie ski paddler and built my way up and then started seeing results I'd never seen as an iron woman so I sort of was really suited to that that strength in the upper body but never imagined I'd paddle around Australia or never looked at breaking a Guinness World Record growing up and sort of stumbled into the world of ultra endurance when I read a book about the woman who had the world record for paddling around. Oh, that's that's a good story. Well, tell tell me, what was it like growing up in the Hancock household? Because m- my brother and I, we were both desperate to become rugby league players, and we were so competitive with each other that we'd we'd come to blows at times. Mm. Was it ever like that in the Hancock household? You and your sister going <laughs> at it, or were you just really supportive of each other? I can imagine women being a little bit different to young boys. <laughs> I think we were more competitive when it came to clothes and sharing right. clothes and people stealing out of each other's wardrobes, which I was the younger one, so I was always doing that, and I would break in and steal their, like, glittery boob shoes and things <laughs> I probably wasn't supposed to be wearing at the age of 10. But, uh, you know, we were always there to support each other, and I was just surrounded by this incredible group of girls from a young age. And, you know, it took me until I was 18 to win Sportswoman of the Year at school, though I was winning national gold medals because the standard was so high and Mm. as you know it just lifts you to this other level and it's a friendly type of competition we you know celebrated each other's wins but you know you're essentially there and you're in a competitive environment every day I think you you need that to get the best out of yourself and even when I moved to the Gold Coast and joined you know the famous North Cliff Surf Club I was lining up against the girls I was racing that weekend so you get used to racing and it does help with that, you know, the nerves on competition because you're doing it every day almost. I thought you needed to be committed to an institution when I heard you were going to do this <laughs> paddle around Australia. When you left in December of uh, 2021, again, like you said, you went through COVID and then you're going clockwise. And I started thinking mm-hmm. about the scary experiences. Now, I've, I watched a really good movie on Netflix not long ago. It's called True Spirit on Jessica Watson, right. who, of course, mm-hmm. sailed around the world. It's yep. an amazing, amazing movie and a story. And I likened it to yourself, but you're in a smaller, a smaller craft. And I think about the scary things you come across, you know, your crocodiles, your big swells, your whales, your sharks. What's the thing that worried you the most? It's actually funny you mentioned True Spirit because one of the books I read in actually trying to make my decision or make my mind up before leaving was True Spirit. And mm. I read Jess Watson's book. You know, she was so young when she sailed around the world and had so many people telling her she couldn't. And I could so, you know, that resonated with me. And I read that book and that was almost the book that actually got me over the line. I was like, I- I've got to do this, you know, and, and still take inspiration. But 
I think for me, it was paddling so far out to sea that terrified me. I, I often used to get scared paddling a couple of kilometres off the Gold Coast. And, you know, it's 40 kilometres when you stand to the beach and look to the horizon. So I was about 100k out most days. So that's no land in sight. And it's just different water out there. It's very quiet. Um, I found from about 20 kilometres out and further, no, there's no sound. It's just the wind and the waves and you jump at a shadow and, you know, those waters down there south, they're known for killer whales and great whites and just that image of jaws coming up to me, I think. And, you know, when I got to Western Australia, as you said, Matt, the, the crocodiles, they, I just... They're predators. They will stalk. There's stories of Freya, who had the record before me, being stalked for 100 kilometres. So sharks are a bit more opportunistic, and we all know that image of Jaws kind of coming up in that music, but then yes. the crocodiles will actually hang around and, and have a good look at you before they get you. <laughs> I actually got goosebumps. My oh, whole man. head went cold then when you were talking about that. The big head crocodile, too. Crocodile stalking you <laughs> for hundreds of kilometres. I mean, I, I can't even. I mean, I think I think the silence would be probably the scariest mm. part, like you're saying, yeah, yeah. not knowing. Now, you've got to be careful when you say this to a female, of course, but we know you lost a lot of weight during the, the paddle, but did you yeah. have to put on a lot of weight beforehand to use it as, as energy? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I actually put 15 kilos on. So, uh, you know, as athletes where we sort of um, – surf life saving it's sort of probably that leaner body composition that's suited to the Ironwoman racing and you know no two athletes look the same but um you know I've always done a lot of running and swimming and, and being quite lean and um you know I knew down south it's freezing it's a couple of degrees ambient temperature it's about nine degrees in the water and hyperthermia is one of the biggest risks down there so six months out I started uh adding croissants and milkshakes after yes. my lunch, which was lots of fun. It felt like Bridget Jones's diary or something. <laughs> I was putting weight on for the role and uh, getting to that start line, I didn't feel like an athlete. I felt uncomfortable. I, I was just sort of sitting in my skits, only 45 centimetres across. And, um, you know, I lost exactly 15 kilos right around, but eight kilograms was lost across the Great Australian Bite. So just as I sort of thought and as a dietitian, I kind of predicted um, a lot of that weight was lost down south in the freezing cold and you know what seasickness hit and I could not hold any food down pretty much for two weeks so my body was using the body fat as an energy source like you said wow that's amazing that, that, that's amazing so is there a reason why you were so far out to sea paddling like I, I mean I, I would have liked yeah. to to have seen the land if, I, if it's me like is there a reason why you are at times 500 kilometers off the coast yeah, so it's about 22,000 kilometres if you were to paddle Australia and hug the coastline, if not more. I did this in 12,700 wow. kilometres. So um, by actually cutting essentially from point to point, uh, you save thousands and thousands of kilometres. So, so, you know, almost half the kilometres to actually cut directly across. And I tell you, it was tempting. I wanted to stay in close. I wanted to be in the beautiful turquoise water, but... I also bloody really wanted to break this world record and I knew I was going to get one shot at it and Freya had gone pretty far out to sea, but I knew I'd have to go further out to sea than anyone had before to, to break this. So I was willing to do it and, and it was scary, but I am very glad I made that decision. So the next decision and the next challenge was to write your memoirs and that's what we're here for. The Girl Who mm -hmm. Touched the Stars. Now, Maddie Rogers has also written a book, Yes, um, A Father's Son, who's a great read as well. Yeah. I can't wait to read this as well. So 
Well, I've spoken to, to Matty Rat here about when he wrote his book. He thought it was, he said, one, it was therapeutic, very. but two, very challenging. Mm-hmm. Yourself, did you, was it a, a challenging project itself? I think they are two perfect words to sum it up. Um, you know, I started writing um, a, a month after I got back. And, and as you know, Maddie, like you just write from a place of emotion. That's when you write the best. And I found that for me, actually going for a paddle, paddle out in the ocean, it would just open my mind up in a way where these memories would start flooding back and I would sprint in and race in and get my laptop and almost smash out a 6,000 word chapter in that afternoon. Um, you know, I would only have the writer's block when I was sitting there sort of trying to strain to think and whenever I needed inspiration, I took myself back to the ocean where all of those, you know, experiences happened and that's how I sort of did it. So, you know, I could remember the conversations. I could remember the coastline clearly that I saw. I remembered feeling terrified when that straight white shark came up next to me when the crew was searching at night time with torches for crocodiles. I could still see all of that clearly so I wrote the book within a couple of months and um, you know I was so incredibly proud of it because my my fingers were still really recovering they were swollen to about twice the size on this paddle and I couldn't hold the pen throughout the paddle so you know my body was still recovering as I was writing this book but I feel that was the only way I could do it was just to get in there and and smash it out while it was so clear to me and um you know, it's, an, it's a whole different challenge, even the publishing world, diving in, getting an agent and, you know, getting editors give you brutal feedback and, mm. and expanding. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very – it's one of the – you know, I'm very proud of that achievement almost just as much as the paddle, really. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, it is. And, and to have it all down and something to remember, something your kids can read, it's, it's mm. such a special thing. But I, I wanted to ask you, obviously the undertaking is enormous. I mean, paddling from mermaid to surface mm. would do me. I'd – I'd be, I'd be spent after that, but tell me, I mean, you were physically prepared for it, obviously, but, but was it as tough mentally as it was physically? Cause I could imagine some really lonely moments where you're just thinking, am I, do, do I really want to keep yeah. going? I think, yeah, absolutely. The one of the hardest parts of the trip and I write about it in the book is before the great Australian bite, we had to make the decision for my husband, Matt, to stay on shore. Uh, I was about to head out and my crew and I were risking our lives in, in what we were about to do. And uh, I mean, out 500k, you're out of helicopter range, you're days away from help if something is to happen. And um, Matt had to stay on land because we had to get a COVID exemption into WA. So this was mid-COVID, um, WA had closed the borders and Matt was the most capable and competent person to get that across the line. And I mean, remember as well, we, we could only raise half the, the money to get around. So my husband had to continue to raise sponsorship money the whole time. Uh, you know, we sold our cars leading in. We put our life savings into this and yeah. it was just a drop in the ocean. We had to continue to hustle and, you know, we had a, a big sponsor come on board, a strong partners who were amazing, but we still had to raise money. So, you know, I remember looking at him and trying to keep a poker face as I said goodbye and seeing him get emotional and, and just having to turn away and go back to the boat and then go out to sea for two weeks without knowing what was going to happen. And that was incredibly difficult. And it's hard to explain the loneliness you feel being 16, 18 hours in that ski, not being able to get near your support boat. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And you really do rely on your crew at the end of the day. You need to talk it through and you've got to get back in the water in that same spot each day, no matter what you've seen in that water. So mentally, your spot on it was pretty much almost harder, I'd say.
and also doing it for a great cause, $65,000 for Gotcha for Life charity, which is outstanding. So to the listeners, the, the book is called The Girl Who Touched the Stars. You get it from Booktopia, in-store at Dimmicks as well, some of your, your libraries as well is going to be having it as well. And also get on the Instagram, Bonnie Hancock, and click on the link, and that's where you can buy the book as well. It's about fear, courage, resilience, celebration. So anyone looking for some inspiration and direction, this Absolutely. is the book for you. So, Bonnie Hancock, we were so excited about talking tonight, and um, we're glad the listeners got to hear your story as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for all the support.